I love how scripture operates. Sorry, this is a tangent. I didn't wrote this, write this down. So work with me here. I love how there are just tidbits of gold hidden all throughout scripture. God will leave little Easter eggs for us. Little stories just dropped off in the midst of a larger piece of narrative. And then you're just supposed to unearth it yourself. Now, back to what has been written. The Roman Catholic Church has seven holy sacraments, not just the Roman Catholics, also Anglicans, Lutherans, the Eastern Orthodox. The seven holy sacraments are as follows. Baptism, Eucharist, which is to say communion. There's confirmation, reconciliation, unction, or anointing the sick with oil. There's marriage and ordination. And each of these sacred rites are believed to be instituted either by God or by Jesus Christ himself. Each has scriptural references that support their legitimacy, the necessity of practicing them over and over again, and the evidence of why they're um, means of grace in the world. I'd like to make an argument that one of these sacraments has been forgotten, a sacrament that should be on par with the other seven, an eighth sacrament, as you will. That sacrament is adoption. Well, we see in this text, in the Gospel of John, Jesus completes an adoption before he dies. Before breathing his last breath, he makes sure that Mary takes on a new son and that this son takes on a new mother. And it says that that disciple brought her into his house from that hour on. Therefore, it leads you to believe that they adopted one another and acted as family. I would argue that this is the institution of the first Christian adoption. Rewind, let's go to story time. When I was in high school, I used to sneak off of campus because I was uh, good enough that they didn't pay attention to me. So I would sneak off of campus, <laughs> go either to Sonic to eat food or to my friend's house. And I knew where his mom and his family kept their secret family emergency key. So I would just let myself into their house and like make a PB and J, sit on down, have some milk, you know, chat with mom because mom was always home. We would have a good old time. This family was special to me for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons that they were particularly special was that they had just adopted three new siblings. Great kids, all of them were wonderful. But one of the things that we talked about in this particular day I had snuck off campus was how awful it was trying to get these kids. The system was sloppy, the rules were disorderly. There were all sorts of cumbersome ways that they found to get in the way of making sure that these kids could be reunited with their biological family. The system in Texas, particularly in Texas, was wrong and there wasn't really an easy way to fix it. And so I'm sitting here talking with, um, with my own somewhat adoptive mother. <laughs> and she's talking about how the social workers are underpaid, how the foster care workers aren't giving the, uh, the documentations that they need in a timely manner. And to my high school mind, this was absolutely mind boggling. Everyone I knew in my life at that time was pro-life, every single person. 
So it was outrageous to me, one, that there were still so many children in the system waiting to be adopted when there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people that take part in the March for Life every year and that demand that people participate in this sort of system. It didn't make sense to me. And then two, it also didn't make sense to me that there were so many churches and so many children that needed homes. Why weren't these churches finding ways to operate then in a way that helped kids get adopted? Lastly, it was absolutely mind boggling to me that our government was so bad at handing children over to people that wanted them. Many of my friends to this day still can't adopt either because they have a medical issue like diabetes or high blood pressure diseases that are relatively survivable. Most of us would agree. People with diabetes live long lives. People last decades with high blood pressure. Yet these little instances hindered folks from getting kids adopted. And I found that even in high school to be completely unacceptable and mind boggling. And yet I grew up a little bit more, a little bit older and moved on to college where I had another epiphany, but we're going to get to that later. Let's focus in on Christians, first of all, before we go to the government, because I can yell about the government for a lifetime, but let's focus on Christians. This is a country where the majority of human beings that are alive claim to be Christians, claim to belong to the Church of Jesus Christ. We also claim to be adopted as members of God's family. Let's look at the scriptures. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, God adopts us in. In Romans chapter 8 through 14, uh, 4, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, we also use that language of adoption. Jesus adopts us in as his own in John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. In 2 Corinthians 6 through 18, we also have another form of adoption taking place, being branded into the family of God. And yet, as Christians who value the phrase and language of adoption so much, we do not offer that same generosity that God gives us to the children that God has entrusted to us in our care. James specifically states that the truest form of religion is this, that we tend to widows and orphans and remain unstained by the world. I would argue that the reason why we don't value adoption and foster care as much as we do is because we have allowed the world to stain our minds and heavily bias us to other forms of being fruitful and multiplying. My high school mind grew up into a college mind, which asked another question. Why do we let children age out of this foster care system when we know that children that age out of the system are almost guaranteed to turn to crime? Almost every person who ages out of the system ends up in prison within five years. Think about that. Almost all of them, the number is so outrageously high that it's almost criminal that we don't intervene. 
And not only that, we know that black and brown children are the least likely to be adopted. So if we critique the prison system, if we critique how the majority of people on death row are people of color, if we can clearly see that that is a racist system, why can't we turn our eye to the foster care system and see that black and brown children aging out of it is literally creating a new class of criminality? When Christians with extra bedrooms in their homes literally have the power to stop that. Not only that, we know that upwards of 25% of homeless youth, children that are in this foster care system, have been placed there by Christians, thrown out because they're LGBTQ+. We, as the people of God, have been called to tend to widows and orphans, called to tend to those who are homeless. And yet we, the children of God, maybe not in this congregation, but we as the collective body have contributed it to homelessness by forcing children out on the streets. This is a sin that the church needs to repent of. This is my epiphany this winter. I love that we are in the season of epiphany and I love even more so that this is Valentine's Day, a day of love and the day of transfiguration. Jesus on Transfiguration Sunday, well, it wasn't a Sunday, we're not gonna get into that. Jesus on the day of his transfiguration took his disciples up to the mountain and they had in their minds a preconceived notion of who he is, a preconceived notion of what he was going to do. He was supposed to usher in a military and overthrow the Roman Empire and build up a new kingdom. But instead on Transfiguration Sunday, Jesus revealed something new. I'm not here to change the physical. I'm here to reveal the spiritual realities underneath. And maybe today, God isn't going to change the physical, but God is going to reveal to you something spiritual underneath. Something spiritual is this reality. There are children that need help now. There are children that need help in this physical reality. And maybe our spiritual minds need to be changed so that we can then meet the needs of those that are crying out for God's help now. We see in the text of James that true and undefiled faith requires us to tend to widows and orphans. It's not a recommendation. It's a requirement. Why then isn't supporting foster care, even with just a donation, a regular practice in our faith? We have to ask ourselves this. Why isn't it normalized? This is a real question. I know that it's normalized to drive through the hood and to see preguntas, necesitas ayuda? call the Catholic Church. And you know that they say, come on over, we're going to help you with your pregnancy. But what happens to the child after that? After you help this mom give birth, after you put the child up for adoption, you just set it free into the system and trust that the U.S. government 
is gonna, I'm sorry, that the US government is gonna do something great? Wait a minute, aren't we still waiting on our $1,400 checks? Come on somebody, it is our job as the children of God to tend to the widows and orphans. Why aren't our congregation saying, sister so-and-so has been praying for kids for years and now we have this baby here. Why are we not finding ways to meet these needs? There's over 700,000 children waiting for adoption right now. 700,000 in just these, this country. And guess how many churches there are? Around 500,000. And there's more starting every day. If we truly committed to ending child homelessness, if we truly committed to taking care of God's children, if we truly committed to loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, we could end this problem in less than a year. But first, we need to find ways to address the abuse that exists within our hearts, to address the homophobia that's commit, that has perpetuated this problem. We need to find ways to address the hurt and pain that exists in our families as they already are, so that we can prepare safe spaces for these children. We need to find people that are willing to open up their hearts and open up their homes. We see in the John text that the beloved disciple was willing to open up his home to Mary, and then he took her in. Mm. I wonder what it is Jesus thinks. We know what he thought when he looked from the cross and he saw that his clothes were being torn up and divided and sent here and thrown. And he thought, you know what's more important to me than these clothes. I need to make sure that my mom isn't tossed around like this. Beloved disciple, please adopt my mom and take her into your home. And now we have these children, also more valuable than Jesus's garments, but they're being tossed to and fro in a system, torn here and there and left out in the streets in some cases. I wonder which of his beloved disciples right now he's calling to step up so that he can create a new family unit. I wonder how God is asking us how we can respond even now. I don't have an answer for you. I don't know what it is God is calling you for. And you know, I feel guilty because every time I preach here, I tell y'all I don't have answers. And one day when I preach here again, I will have all the answers and everyone will rejoice. But I don't have all the answers right now, but here's what I do know. I know that God is asking you something. And if it's not to be the person 
who opens up your home. There's other people in this story. Notice in John, there's the other Marys there. And they don't just disappear at the end of the story. Remember, after Jesus was buried, those same Marys show up to anoint his body. Remember, they're the first people to discover him. Mary Magdalene is there and the angel greets her. Remember that it's the job of the family to anoint the body. So even though they didn't do the adopting, they still took up family responsibilities. So even if you aren't directly called to foster, even if you aren't directly called to adopt, there's family responsibilities that lay on your shoulder as a member of God's family. Ask yourself, what is it God is calling me to do? Who is it God is calling me to help? I might not be willing or able to adopt right now. I might not have the ability, but I know that I can meet somebody else's need. I know so-and-so has mentioned it. Maybe I can follow up with them and find a way to help meet their need. That's our job as Christians. That is our task. That is pure and undefiled faith, according to the Apostle James. And you know what? I think that that is what pure and undefiled religion is, according to Pastor Jarrell, too. Like, we need to find ways to lower this number. We cannot leave this earth with 700,000 American children still waiting to be adopted. We need to organize. That's my epiphany. Thank you so much for having me. And let's close in prayer. God, we give you thanks that when we were spiritually homeless, you opened up your home and you adopted us in. Help us, God, to seek ways to adopt those around us into your holy family. Help us to spread the love and grace and mercy that you have shown us with the rest of the world. Help us to feel empowered to help others. Help us, oh God, because without you, we can't do it. We give you thanks. We give you praise. In the name of your son, Jesus the Christ, amen. Thank you so much, Gerald.